Hello, and welcome back to Keep Digging for Life, your seminary on the go. I am your host, Jason Epps. A, a quick personal note that I want to share with you guys is that I am going to be starting my first class in the uh, doctoral program at Midwestern Theological Seminary. Uh, and I chosen I've chosen an emphasis for my doctoral program in the field of Old Testament because I radically enjoy seeing the themes of the Old Testament pulled into the new and the Old Testament forms the necessary foundation of the new the New Testament wasn't just dropped it Old Testament forms its background its foundation, if you will, the need for Jesus. So that's why if any of you are wondering, um, as always, you can email me your questions at keepdiggingforlife at gmail.com. That is keepdiggingfor, F-O-R-L-I-F-E, life at gmail.com. But today we are continuing our chosen series with episode six. Now, as always, I am going to be doing a short little synopsis. Then I'm going to be delving into areas where the uh, creative team stretched the biblical data and then analyzing what is coherent with the biblical data and finally ending on their character development and how that might fit within the grand scheme of The Chosen. So without further ado, let's keep digging. First off, before I get into the summary proper, I want to say that there was a ton of illusions and content in this episode. Um, so I know I probably missed um, some things or can't mention them all. So I would encourage you to watch this episode very closely and mention your favorite points or things that I might have missed. This will uh, create an interesting dialogue, but... Let's delve into the summary. All right. The episode starts out with a leopard coming to the pawnbroker. Now, this is not a leopard like the animal leopard. This is a person with the disease of leprosy. Now, I do want to say one quick thing about that. Um... Oftentimes, leprosy is uh, present in the Gospels, but we don't know if the word translated leprosy is actually leprosy. We know it was some contagious skin disease of some kind that uh, isolated everyone else from the community, which which you see clearly in The Chosen. You're not allowed to be in contact with people over a 
few feet, kind of like uh, COVID. I wonder if they did that illusion almost intentionally as kind of a nod to what we're going through. Um, but it was, it, it thus prevented you from being in contact with anybody, having a job, having a livelihood. That's why we see the leopard selling the last thing that he owns to the pawnbroker. And that is a very apt state. And this, <laughs> there's so much in this episode. This would normally set up the end of the episode creating an inclusio, but this doesn't even create an inclusio because there's so much content. But I digress. The next element that we see is, um, I believe it's Nicodemus talking to a group of Jewish leaders about John the Baptist. We find out that Shmuel uh, turned John the Baptist in with no um, sanction from the other Jewish leaders. And the other Jewish leaders signed with Nicodemus. We all, But we learn from this scene that um, Shmuel is easily insulted. The reason why he imprisoned John was the fact that he name-called the Pharisees, calling them brood of vipers. So, basically, and this sets the tone for potential Jewish antagonism that Jesus will in incur in the future. We also see uh, Matthew and, and Gaius. And the interesting thing is that Gaius plays down the amount of money and the other Roman guards too, thinking uh, it's just two months and Matthew's like, no, it's two years. And which makes it amazing. It seems like no one believes the miracle. And what's very interesting is the conversation between Quintus, the Roman praetor, and Matthew. Matthew is forcefully trying to explain that there was a man that did the miraculous catch. It wasn't Simon. It wasn't, um, it wasn't any sort of scheme. But Quintus thinks there's some sort of scheme. There was some court of God. And he's consumed with thinking, wow, we're getting more money. And his first response is, can I get him to do it again? He's not seeing to the miracle. He accuses Matthew of being easy to fool, being a rube. And Matthew says something very intriguing here. He says, and I'm going to try and quote it directly, I am neither sophisticated or subtle, but I am observant. And that could potentially... as my mom made an observation as we were watching this, could be us letting an insight into Matthew's character. 
and that he is observant in writing his gospel. It's building up Matthew's credibility, in a sense. And finally, in that scene, we also show Matthew's cunningness, because Quintus is faced with a childhood rival that he wants to put in his place, and Matthew says to show him his place, um, show him your plans for infrastructure. And Guy says it's so simple. So we see that Matthew is not simple-minded. He's smart and intelligent, which means he did not make this thing up further boosting his credibility. Um, there's an interesting discussion with um, Jesus' disciples where they hilariously talk about things like the sermon that does to your nose, the low-level eggs, which is just uh, comical of getting to know the disciples, that it was hard to be a disciple. It wasn't just on a bed of roses. And there's also in this bit Jesus saying, in time you will, to Peter, in time you will take charge of the disciples, but you need to go to your family. This also shows his knowledge of other affairs. Again, pointing at his divinity. Now, we then cut to the section, and I may be getting this out of order, so forgive me. Uh, <laughs> what I like to call the rabbinic smackdown. It's a conversation between Nicodemus and Shmuel. Nicodemus smartly plays the card of, Oh, I'm too tired. I can't read the, the passage from the scroll of Isaiah. You read it, Shmuel. And Shmuel's like, okay, I'll read it. And he reads the a voice crying in the wilderness. And Nicodemus said, who does that sound like? And then Shmuel, without missing a beat, says, it sounds like the heretic John. And Nicodemus, almost reading my mind, is like, well, then what makes it heresy? Isaiah said it. And then we get into a they get into a discussion of God can't take physical form and Nicodemus says, why do you put limits on God? And he's like, if God does something that you doesn't fit with your interpretation, would you tell God to get back in your box? Or will you question your interpretation of Torah? Which is a very apt point. And this kind of goes a little bit beyond summary, but I'll get into that later. Then we see the healing of the leopard that we saw in season uh, in the opening scene the oh before that sorry there's just so much I Jesus speaks with the a woman who's from Ethiopia and now this could be the woman from Ethiopia in the Gospels that needs her daughter healed. They might be setting it up for that. But regardless, um, and they're actually, and they actually speak Egyptian to each other, which 
It's kind of cool. But regardless, he heals the paralytic because the paralytic says, I know of your um, creating the wine, and he heals him. And then she <laughs> goes away. We we don't know at this point. Um, then Jesus arrives at the home of Zebedee, and there's a series of parables being taught. Then we go back to Shmuel and Nicodemus, right after Nicodemus and Shmuel have agreed to being on the same page. person says, there's somebody preaching and they're attracting a lot of people. And they go to investigate. Um, Jesus is telling a slew of parables. Um, one of the parables that we actually hear, interestingly enough, is his instructions on praying in secret. And pray or and giving in secret. And one of the audience members who's actually the 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 lame and poor person that we saw from a couple episodes back asked the question, well, how do you, can you do it in secret in Jesus? Which is what a lot of people nowadays ask. And he says, it's just being honest, not doing it for show, not even congratulating yourself. Um, we also see uh, Matthew and um Abigail and Joshua the Brave. Uh, Matthew was observing the healing of the paralytic. Shmuel <laughs> makes his way to, to the house right as the paralytic is coming down. And he says, By what authority do you preach? And Jesus says, So that you will know that Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Um, you know, and then Jesus... Um, well, first off, Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he speaks directly to Nicodemus like he knows his thoughts. How can anyone say this? Your your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus says, So that you will know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Get up and walk. And right as he does that and walks out, Shmuel says, God's a threat to the Roman peace. Again, showing that he is more concerned about his power than actually what is truly uh, going on. Then we see Mary and Nicodemus having a talk, and Nicodemus wanting to uh, meet with Jesus in the cover of night, even if it's a tomb. All right, so that's a brief summary of what has occurred in this episode. There was a lot of material. So, let's begin to dig in. couple things that I forgot to add into the synopsis, um, but it's important for me to continue on the analysis, is um, Matthew 
met up with Peter again and said, I need to see Jesus. I believe Jesus, but the Romans didn't. And Jesus, towards the end, looks straight at Matthew after the healing. Almost as if to say, I see you there. I'm coming for you next. All right, so without further ado, let's go into the things where they might have um, stretched a bit. Um, There's one bit where um, there was a question about the uh, Jesus' time in Egypt, particularly regarding the killing of the innocents and Jesus' connection to that. It almost seems like Jesus is dodging the question of his disciples in the same way he dodges a question of his lineage. There's no proof as to whether or not Jesus hid his lineage. True, he kept his powers secret to give himself um, free movement, but there's not really a... Biblically, he didn't really hide who he was. Also, we have no indication as to why the man with leprosy came to see him. And it's unclear as to what event this healing of the man of leprosy is connected with. Because there were several healings of leprosy. And in all of them, as far as I can remember, there were multiple people with leprosy. In addition... There's no real account of Jesus speaking Egyptian. So, that's a bit of a stretch. And the the whole conversation between Shmuel and Nicodemus is fabricated. We don't even know if Nicodemus had a student named Shmuel and if they were dialoguing about this. But, in general... It's a very small list. There's a whole lot of things that they are biblically on point in this episode. So without further ado, let's dig into that. All right, let's delve into what they biblically did that was correct. And this first thing I find extremely refreshing because, well, let's just say, Jesus' name is not really Jesus. Or at least he wouldn't have called himself Jesus. His name, which he would have said, would be Yeshua. And one thing that I really enjoyed that they did is when he spoke Egyptian, he used the term Yeshua. Now, I can't verify (coughs) what else he spoke in Egyptian because I don't know Egyptian, and it was too fast for me to tell if it was... Hebrew or not, but I know at least that was correct. And it was very refreshing just 
to remind ourselves, hey, the Bible was not written in English. God's people were Jewish people, not Americans. I know most of my listeners are aware of this, but sometimes we have this idea that Jesus is an Anglo-Saxon European because of all the images that we have of him with long flowing brown hair. But he's not. He's ethnically Jewish. And yeah. Side note about that. There's also a tendency to make Jesus look like whatever ethnic group. Uh, If ministering to Chinese, look Chinese. Ministering to Africans, make them look African. Uh, That is not necessary. There is not a black Jesus and Chinese Jesus. Jesus came for all. There's no need to make him more attached to a specific ethnic group because we're all in the human race. Um, the other bit, a huge bit that was mentioned, or that was, well, before. Okay, let me back up at least in my thought. Go to a few minor things. Um, when Shmuel was reading from the scroll, he was using a yod, which is what they would actually use to read the scroll. Uh, that was authentic. I couldn't get a good angle on the scroll, but it looked like authentic writing. At least, it looked like it was an authentic material. The reason why they would use the yod is because they would use more natural inks that would have a tendency to smudge. So... They use the yod to keep one place without smudging the ink while reading. And Pharisees, this is implied by him saying a bit further, Nicodemus saying a bit further down a few lines. Before they were teachers and after they were done being students, they would have to commit to memory a passage of scripture. They did not need to see the written word. This was very effective in that time period because um, copies of the written word were very rare. When Nicodemus said, down a few lines, even though this is how he knew how far down, because he had memorized the passage, which... um, is incredibly <laughs> authentic. All right, now I'm going to get into a couple of things that I uh, personally liked, but are <laughs> but are not necessarily about character development. One was about Shmuel and Nicodemus's discussion of the interpretation of Torah. Yes, we need to follow God's word. Yes, we need to correctly interpret it. 
but we should not put God in a box. If God does something, since his word cannot fail, we need to check our interpretation. Scripture has to hold true. As Nicodemus said, there was nothing in Scripture that said directly that God could not have a body. In fact, there were some passages of Scripture that says, a body you have prepared for me, which seems to imply that God could take on human form. So that is just a side note that we have a tendency sometimes to put God into a box so that he can do only the things that we want him to do in the way he wants to do. And to quote C.S. Lewis, he is not a tame lion, referring to Aslan, who's a picture of Jesus. God will not lie, and God will not violate his word, of course, but we cannot command him to do certain things certain ways or within our timetable. Just like with me, I couldn't command him to let me into DTS or heal me from my daily discomfort and pain. I could ask him, but I have no guarantee. Like the Apostle Paul, when and if he will remove things from me. But he still is good. He still has a greater plan. He can see how everything is working together. We can't, and that's where trust is. I know I'm getting a bit off topic. Um, the next thing that I really liked was the discussion between the person who's lame and Mary Magdalene, where she says, I don't want to interrupt the teacher and make a fuss. He's, and the lame man says, if you were me, wouldn't you want your friends to help you make a fuss? And she said, I was you, which is true. She was an outcast. She was someone no one wanted to be around. But as someone who is uh, permanently bound to a wheelchair with a physical disability, I can really relate to the, the lame man. I would want my friends to make a scene. Sometimes I wonder, though, who would? It's one of those questions that's up there of how would we treat Jesus if we would see him? And oftentimes the churches were more concerned about the order and how nice things look than making sure the people that need to get to Jesus just a side note, food for thought. Um, and the other point that I really liked was Peter was worried that the Romans were going to come and Jesus was going to get captured. And I think it was Andrew who said to him, don't worry about it. Jesus can do anything. There's nothing really... He can't do, and he called you to be a fisher of men. And Simon says, I don't know what that means. And Andrew says, if he wanted you to know what that means, he would have told you. Which kind of goes back to the 
He reveals what we need to know. And he has a good and perfect plan that works together. Nothing surprises him. So that's my positive reflections. And I will come back with the character development. And we're back. So, in conclusion, what do we see here with the uh, character development? We see Nicodemus standing up for God, supernaturally doing things. We also see uh, others in the uh, Pharisees that are um, against anyone that would even similarly, even insult them at the base level. We also see that there's some, in the case of Quintus, that refuse to accept the miraculous that is right in front of them and just sees it as an angle, as a natural instance. And that is um, true with some people. They're just continually blind by, by Satan because Satan does blind the eyes of unbelievers. We need to remember that, that while God is living and active, Satan is also active, not as powerful as God, mind you, but Satan loves keeping people in the dark, bringing them down with him, as it were. So that is what we see um, in Gaius. And some, not in Gaius, in Quintus, the Roman praetor. And Gaius is just someone who um, is not willing to take a stand. We see in Matthew that, that he is un, unwilling to forget, unwilling to ignore. And that his eyes are beginning to open. Same with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is willing to meet Jesus at night when they weren't, when the Sadducees weren't really allowed to meet people. And even in a tomb, a place that would make him ritually unclean, unable to teach, essentially do his job. Um, I forgot to mention one thing, so I'm going to mention here, and it is a big thing. I can't believe I almost forgot it. The phrase, son of man. Many people think that is a allusion to Jesus' humanity. Because people throughout the Bible call him son of man. Adam's called the son of man in Luke. Um, Jeremiah is called son of man. No, Ezekiel, sorry. But when Jesus is use, uses the son of man, it's most likely referencing Daniel 7. Now, here's the interesting thing 
about Daniel 7. Daniel 7 was a passage of incredible debate among the rabbis. They didn't know how to handle it. Because there seemed to be a person with supernatural power. Almost God. In fact, there were some scholars that thought there were two gods, a big Yahweh and a little Yahweh. And in that case, they're right. So we're right to some extent. So when Jesus said to Shemuel, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he was claiming his divinity, his authority with the Most High. That's what upset the Pharisees, and that's what ultimately got Jesus on the charge of blasphemy. Because not only did he say that in his trial, he also finished the verse and said, coming on the clouds of heaven, so there'd be no mistake. So Jesus did not deny his divinity or his <coughs> messiahship. We also see here, I want to make an interesting note, that the characters, Peter especially, are wanting Jesus to overthrow the Romans. We see Peter saying, if it's not time for him to overthrow the Romans, I don't want him to get in trouble. The Jewish people thought that Jesus was going to fight and overthrow the Romans, like the Maccabees. In fact, again, I forgot to mention this earlier. When Gaius saw that there was a peaceful gathering, there was a gathering, and Andrew said, oh, it's just a peaceful gathering. Uh, Gaius said, that's what the Maccabees said. Now, the Maccabees were a group of Jewish freedom fighters in 146 BC. They rallied against Antiochus Epiphanes, who was oppressing their rulers, their worship. Antiochus was forcing them to behave all Greek and uh, to circumcise pigs on the altar, making it unclean, preventing the reading of Torah. That's where the idea of dreidels came about, so they could secretly teach the kids uh, Torah without the Greeks knowing about it. But I digress. So, the Jewish people were waiting for another Maccabee. How wrong they were with Jesus. And Guy is saying that's what the Maccabees said could be a subtle reference to this. Alluding to that a riot could occur at any time, at least from a Roman standpoint. That's why the Romans were always on edge there. Number one maxim was to keep the peace. They didn't care what really anybody did so long as the peace was kept. All right. So sorry that was a bit scattered, but there was a lot in that episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please 
uh, comment me with uh, any questions, leave any voice messages with on Anchor of any topics you would like me to cover in the future. And as always, keep digging.